podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. How's your fantasy team doing, mate? Oh, I haven't sat here in ages. Everyone's bored of it by the stages of the season, now, aren't they? That's enough out of you, you whiny limey. That's soccer, not football. And this is Paddy Power's NFL Fantasy. Running on just the 6 p.m. games, it's only a game week long. No season-long boredom, no excuses, and 750 pounds in prizes guaranteed each week. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. 18 Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Happy Christmas, everybody. And I tell you what, we have got a very, very special Christmas present for you. In the shape of Iron Mike Carlson in the house here at ESPN HQ. Uh, he's got his Christmas tips lined up. Of course, he have. We'll talk uh, Christmas movies and we will look back at week 16 in the NFL and so much going on, including the Cowboys losing to the Eagles, the crazy AFC wildcard race, which means the Raiders in probably back in contention there. The Seattle Seahawks losing to Arizona, losing Chris Carson as well, timing their run the wrong way as they head towards the playoffs. So much more besides how good were those Chiefs as well, defensively in particular. A lot of big NFL stories to be getting into. And of course, as we roll into Christmas, we've got our daily fantasy listener league for you to get involved with this weekend for week 17. Free to enter, lots of cash prizes. Uh, find the links to the Paddy Power Fantasy League on our social media channels at the NC Show. All right, let's get straight down to Christmas business with Iron Mike. Iron Mike, it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas, isn't it? It really is. I mean, uh, I'm dressed for the occasion. I had to find a, a jacket that matched the headset that we're, that we're using. <laughs> Did you so buy that I, on the way to the studio? Well, there are a lot of charity shops uh, as we they go, as we go by. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I borrowed one, uh, in the lobby from one of the security guys. <laughs> just handed to you as you're walking into the elevator. I like, yeah, we yeah. have both dressed up for Christmas. Do you know yeah. what my, my, Reveur, yeah. you know what that means? Celebration. No, it means dreamer. <laughs> <laughs> Rebels, you know. <laughs> dreamer is it means celebrator. Uh, now, You're the celebrator. I am. I am. You know that's that's in the West Wing where where they're when Gabby Giffords gets shot and they're doing the whole emergency bulletin, you know, because the Arizona Congresswoman who gets this, um, shot at the shopping center, and there's this great scene where he literally is walking through the newsroom and the wardrobe lady comes up and hands him his his suit on a hanger, all pressed and stuff, and he just sort of takes it and keeps going. Love it. <laughs> it's on. I that's me that. with this jacket. That's you with the jacket. Yeah. I love it in the West Wing when Bartlett's about to go and debate. In the, when he's running for re-election, the ex. And his wife sniffs. Game on. <laughs> this is game on about 11 times. I think yeah. every time we that, that kills the episode in a, in a little bit of way. Yeah. Old, old people using urban slang is a bit too much. Uh, now it's Christmas because we are dressed for the occasion with your jacket and my, my dreamer jumper. Uh, for the benefit of those of you, uh, listening to the pod as opposed to watching any of the video that we push out on the ESPN's YouTube channel and on our social channels as well. I might have the NC show. Uh, Mike is dressed very sharply, uh, but kind of smart casual. He's got the, he's got the denim on as well. Uh, uh, so we didn't go the full festive hog, but we have done as far as gifts are concerned. We've both got presents for each other. You and I worked together a long time, and this is a tradition now, isn't it? It really is, going back to the old uh, Channel 5 days. Old and, school. Yeah, uh, our well, Carnage podcast. Merry Christmas, Man, thank, you. thank um, you. I'm glad that you signed this present from Iron Mike Carson. Uh, well, I wanted to make stuff. sure you knew who it was. <laughs> 
I wasn't watching. sure, you know, you since you've it. shot up so much in the world, you know. We get... <laughs> well, let's uh, let's do it. Now, yeah, I'm... and the card I like particularly because it's a snowman. The Christmas card is a snowman charity uh, card from the Red Cross. But um, the snowman's got a hat on just like one of mine. It's a very Carlson hat. <laughs> and um, he's got the, his son or the little boy who I think of as being Nate and the dog at the bottom. So I just look at it as a family shot. I know? love it. <laughs> he does look uncannily like you. Um, and, well, I'm glad Rufus has signed the card as well. Nice. Yeah, I try to get him to to do his job as as a dog. So now I this came this came in a bag in a bag. Yeah. Um, so it could be any one of a number of things. One one of which I won't say on air. But the second <laughs> one that I thought it was a sausage. But I, luckily, luckily it isn't sausage. a sausage. It's a bottle, and it is a bottle of, of Nostros Reserva Pinot Noir. From Chile, from Casablanca. The trouble, that looks great. I thought you liked some grog. The trouble with buying a present for you, I'm Mike, uh, is that I kind of figured you're so well versed in pretty much all literature and all movies. It's very hard to, and, and music for that matter as well, to buy something you don't have. Well, you know, at my age, especially musically, there's loads of stuff I don't have, but most of it's stuff I don't want to listen to. <laughs> I was wondering, because I was in, uh, clicking through and picking out some vinyl recently, and I picked up a bit of Theolonius Monk and a bit of jazz that I figured you would like. Oh, Monk's great. Player. I don't have a record so player anymore. I still do have some records, but, um, um, yeah, I don't think I'll get rid of the CD player to go, um, audio, digital, um, you know, or whatever they call it. I'm surprised that Carlson net, doesn't you know. go vinyl. Uh, one of the reasons I got you this bottle of grog is the, Notes on the back. It's a delicate and elegant wine. That's me. <laughs> delicate, elegant. Uh, and is it smooth, though? Of course it's Okay, smooth. yeah. That, that makes all the difference. The Art of Captaincy, you got me, by Mike Brearley. One of, one of as you say in, uh, in this inscription here, one of the best books I've ever studied. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic sports book. Um and Brearley of course was a fantastic captain for for England and the reason he was fantastic was that he understood people um as much as the game and that that's what I think the art of captaincy refers to. But the first time I ever saw a cricket match, I was I had just moved to London and rented a a tiny flat in in um St John's Wood. And my wife and I were walking past Lords um up up Wellington Road. Road. I know it was. And, um, and there was an entrance there. We just kind of walked in the entrance to see what was going on. It was like almost a car park entrance. And the guy said, Oh, what are you doing? I said, oh, I just want to see what's going on. I've never seen great. He said, Oh, I'll sell you a ticket for a tour of the grounds. Yeah. And if you happen to go into the stands and watch the match, that's fine. It was like 12p or something in those, <laughs> in those days. It was Middlesex and Yorkshire in yeah. the Sunday League. Nice. And I was sitting there and as I would do, I started asking people what was going on and stuff. And then I said, Who's that gray haired guy who keeps moving everybody around? <laughs> And I said, they said, oh, he's the captain. And I said, well, yeah, he's really bossy, isn't he? he said, oh, no, that's what the captain does. You know, he's like, it's like what you would call a coach. You know, right. you're not allowed to have a coach off off the field right. in cricket. I said, oh, oh, that's really interesting. And then I watched and he would move somebody on basically every ball. Mm. And then later I read read him and he said the main reason he did that was not because he thought that the ball was going to go here or there, but was to keep the players on their toes. Because, yeah. yeah, if all of a sudden he moves them, not only are his players more focused, but the batsman's now thinking, what's the ball going to be that comes to me that he thinks I'm going to hit it into the gully, you know, or, or that kind of a thing. It's great. It's yeah. a great book. Interesting on in so many levels. A lot of my generation in the UK who discovered NFL, for example, baseball, to the supplies to, because we didn't have, it was pre-internet, we didn't have huge amount of exposition or explanation with a lot of the early broadcasts that we that we were watching we just had to follow it and understand we didn't have 
people we could go and ask them what's going on why is that guy doing this and of course the commentary team to a degree give you uh, help you paint the picture but we just had to dive in and learn this thing it must be the same for you with cricket right you put, have you ever seen it before i mean i know you no, watch in sport, no never I, i'd it. never seen and that's how i got my i was working at a, new, a tv news agency mm. and i became their sports editor after i threw an australian guy off the telex machine because he was having trouble he was being slow writing writing a story about the australian tour we were sending it to channel nine in australia we were doing a special thing for them so i i, I literally yelled at him and i pushed him off the chair and i sat down at <laughs> the telex machine and i typed out the story Brilliant. and the next day the editor called me into his office and said i saw what you did to john ayers yesterday i said oh, i'm really sorry you know i shouldn't lose my temper i know that I said oh, i don't care about that <laughs> he said that's great he said how, how can you write a cricket story how long have you lived in this country i said oh, a year or whatever he said i'm welsh i can't understand cricket." <laughs> i said it's a game games are easy to understand and he said do you want to be our sports editor <laughs> and from that point on i worked in sports oh, you know it's, it's, it's i owe it all to cricket well our listeners are pleased about that who was the guy that gave you the gig uh, his name was Trevor Jones. Saluting you, Mr. Jones. Saluting you. Uh, let's get into a very, very busy week 16 in the NFL. So many places we can go to and start with. Uh, one who's speaking of great leadership and, <laughs> uh, and clear thinking and direction. Let's start with Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys. I know where you're going, and, oh, it, and it's to Dallas. <laughs> you know, Mike, we were chatting about this before. The it, We work in the business, so we get the tricks of the trade. And, and I think that was happening last night as this game was unfolding, accentuating, here's a close-up of Jason Garrett looking concerned and mournful, and Zeke Elliott, here's a close-up of him on the bench looking really, really hacked off, and where's Amari Cooper? He's hardly played. There he is, and he's looking detached. So I get that there's a slightly artificial... Yeah, George uh, Romero could have directed that game. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, I think it's undeniable that there is dysfunction and malaise in this Cowboys franchise at the moment. There's so much talent there and they are underperforming dramatically. So it can't just, can it just be on Jason Garrett's play calling and, uh, and indeed his coordinators for that matter and Kellen Moore, or is there, is it more deep seated than that? Do you think? Well, I, I think it's hard to blame Jason Garrett and exonerate Jerry Jones, partly because I think they, they have a showy kind of roster filled with talent that they don't utilize to its best um, ability. And that's mostly down to Jason Garrett. But I think there's also an atmosphere there yeah. where guys don't have to really fight the way you, you watch it. You know, you, when one of the things about the Ravens this year, for example, is you know you're not going to get an easy game when you play the Ravens. Right. It's, it's just not going to happen. When you play the Patriots, you know – you're not going to get an easy game to figure out. You know, they might not push you around like the Ravens do, but they're going to make, they're going to make life difficult for you if they can. When you play the Cowboys, it's as if, if they don't get it easy, they don't win. I mean, and we were fooled a lot of us by their beating Jacksonville, you know, so convincingly. Um, but if, but if you really can make it hard for them, they, they really don't seem to be able to rise to the occasion. And that more than anything has to be down to the, to leadership, to, to the coaching. And, you know, Jason, Garrett, if he's been there a long time because I think he, because he doesn't rock the boat and the boat is Jerry Jones and Jerry doesn't want the spotlight switched away from him uh, on the Cowboys. Is it the spotlight or the control? Well, both. I mean, that's, he has the control anyway, but he wants to make sure people know that, you know, he's the de facto GM. His son is the personnel guy or however it works. So, I, I think he's happy to settle for that as long as the team does relatively well sure. rather than sort of push push the envelope a bit to try to get more 
more out of them. And, you know, watching that game, how, how many things, how many more things wrong with a team that's fighting, you know, third and one, and Zeke Elliott goes out of the game, and Tony Pollard comes in. Okay, maybe Zeke's really hurt badly, can't, you know, just doesn't have it to do it, so maybe he's doing the right thing. I, I can't judge that. But I can judge your play calling when your second string tailback is in there. Do you really want to run the same play you had called for Zeke Elliott, knowing that Philadelphia has held Zeke Elliott in check for the entire game? They've been on top of him. So don't you run a little misdirection don't don't you try something different and but nothing was in fairness nothing was, nothing working, was working for them the receivers were dropping balls yeah. dak was missing was missing passes um, was it, in fairness to him as we knew going into the game he was he was banged up and it he got he was gutsy but it yeah. wasn't there was no rhythm to, yeah. to their passing but you know Mark cooper as well i mean talk about cooper was was he playing i mean you know it's they said afterwards we were deliberately flipping him with Tavon austin Tactically, but nobody nobody deliberately puts Tavon Austin in <laughs> tactically. I mean, how many years has Tavon Austin been in the game? Sure. The game and and every every team starts off wanting to use him as a wide receiver and winds up using him as a gadget player. Yeah, you know that that's that's the way it works. He's got a, a limited skill set in in terms of it's a good skill. I mean, he does what he does. He does well, yeah. but um, it, it's a limited skill set. And and if you make life hard for the Cowboys, they don't. Respond, you know, if you shut down Zeke Elliott and their whole offense runs through Zeke Elliott, you know, people don't see that right away the way they do say, you know, Chris Carson in, in Seattle or, you know, or Joe Mixon in, in Minnesota. We know that, you know, but it's people not, don't realize. Dalvin yeah. Cook in Minnesota. Dalvin Cook in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, you know, but that's the way it works. Yeah. You know, and, and fair credit to the Eagles who, you know, we're talking about how the Cowboys lost the game, but the Eagles won the game. You know, they, if, when I picked it, if you had said to me the Eagles would score 17 points, I would have said 31-17, Dallas. You know, that would have been, yeah. that would have been the way I would have read it. How banged up the Eagles side is as well is worth emphasizing, I think, particularly offensively. No Deshaun Jackson, no Ashon Jeffrey, Aguilar. Zach Hurts bangs his ribs up in the game. I mean, they are severely depleted. Well, to be honest, Aguilar <laughs> is not a huge loss um, the way he, he's played during the season. Uh, Jeffrey doesn't always seem to be on the same page with Wentz the way he was with Nick Foles. Um, and he's actually not, I don't think, as effective as he was two years ago, say. Uh, I think he's lost half a step, maybe. Um but it, it, the point, it remains. I mean, Jackson is essential to that in the sense that he simply lifts the lid off the defense. You have to account for him. Sure. You can't, you know, he may, he may only catch a couple of balls a game, but you have to know where he is at all times. And, you know, um, when Ertz was in, Goddard's more effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Goddard had a pretty good game. He yes. made a couple of really good, really good catches. And Ertz was, was good at putting the ball f- where he needed to catch it. I mean, which is, which is, which is a key thing. And, and Sanders was, was effective, you know, and credit again to Doug Peterson for finding ways to use Sanders to, you know, to be able to involve him in this game. And, um, uh, injuries are part of the game and Philadelphia is supposed to have not only a really good offensive line, but a deep one. And, you know, they pretty much showed that this week. Dallas is supposed to have the best offensive line in the game and they couldn't keep, I mean, sorry, Philly, uh, Dallas, yeah, and yeah. they couldn't keep the Eagles defense out, you couldn't, know? Couldn't establish the run? Yeah, absolutely. Where was to, where was Demarcus Lawrence? The crazy thing about it, he had one big play, didn't he? And that was about it. The crazy thing about it all, Mike, of course, is the Cowboys can still make the playoffs, right? So next week, if the Giants beat the Eagles, which is feasible, Dallas beats Washington, Dallas are in and, and Philly 
stay home. Yeah, Daniel Jones and Eli Manning are now like the killer bees tag team where, <laughs> where they put the mask on and nobody can tell which one is which. Um, I, I think some of those Jones doubters, you, you know, the same the same mouth clowns who were talking about the Dolphins tanking the season yeah, and yeah. whatever, you know, he's a rookie. You know, he's going to make mistakes and stuff, but Look I think he's shown what he can. Ever. Yeah. Right. It's, he's shown what he can do. You know, it was just, it's, it, um, and give, give him a lot of credit, you know, for, for coming back in the overtime, especially, um, yeah. you know, now. With limited Dwayne, weapons as well, right? So if you think about, I mean, Saquon was brilliant yesterday. Yeah. But hasn't been. That was the key to the game, obviously. Um, but he's got, I mean, look, you know, you had Golden Tate is his, well, and Dunning Shepard as well, but Golden Tate missed X number of games anyway. He's got, a, again, a pretty depleted. Uh, oh, he, it, not as depleted as it was for most of the season. That, that's that, my that's point. for sure. Yeah. For the season, he's had a rookie yeah. season with. Yeah. And uh, a lot of credit to Darius we, Slayton, who's played really well. Yeah, Slayton too. Um, yeah. For a rookie who kind of came, came out of nowhere. Um, but you know, even, you look at Haskins, and, um, he didn't play badly. You know what I mean? And everyone say, oh god, he's awful, and you know, he's shooting, but you know, he, he looked like a quarterback. I would think he's gonna be the starting quarterback next year. Oh, I I think he has to who knows, who knows what Alex Smith's gonna be like coming back or whatever, but you know, I think, I think you assume you're going forward with Dwayne Haskins. I think you have to, they've got too much, too much running on him. One more thing, the two best games of Sunday, were the two games between the tank ball teams. They were. Um, that's in Washington, New York and, and, uh, Cincinnati, Miami both went to overtime. Um, and, and this whole thing that we get into our mindset of, oh, the team that needs it more is the team that's going to win. You know, well, these two teams didn't need it at all. These four teams didn't need it at all. And they produced two really hard fought, exciting football games. Brilliant games. And the Cincinnati, Miami in particular, uh, because of the, the comeback from Cincinnati, which had us all scratching our heads for the various reasons, not, not least as was well documented going into the game, a tie or a loss, which is what ended up happening, guarantees the number one pick. They've won one game all season. They're in a complete hole with five minutes to go, and they staged one of the great comebacks of the season. So where the hell did that come from? Yeah, and it came from Andy Dalton. This kind of, you could look at this as Andy Dalton's sort of, um, la, you know, out, out the, out the window, you know, yeah. uh, to, to in, see, look for me in your rearview mirror. Um, but also, you know, veterans doing, doing some good work on that, on that Hail Mary, especially Dalton and, and Tyler Eifert and, and Miami yeah. looking like a team of rookies and, you know, and just guys who, who weren't quite sure how they were supposed to finish. But there was an interesting thing somebody put up about, um, about these great overtime games that we remember. Um, but it actually, it wasn't the, it's not the overtime people remember. It will be the tie that people remember. And the great tied games of all time mm, stand out. Five, this one to me was like Yale Harvard in 1969, the 29 29 tie yeah, between yeah. two unbeaten teams where Harvard won 29 29 was the headline in the paper That's the next right. day. Um, it was like, it was like the 10 10 Michigan State Notre Dame game where they were both number one, undefeated number one in the country and Alabama was number third, mm. number three. And that's when Bear Bryant said a tie is like kissing your sister. And he thought that Alabama, you know, should go to number one and those yes, two teams should be, should be a number. But, you know, if those games had gone to NCAA overtime mm. and Alabama and Notre Dame won in the third, in the third 25 yard line exchange shootout, you know, mm. no one would remember it the same way. You know, we don't remember those games, but, but a tie like that is epic. And I would have loved to just see it end in a tie. Yeah, you know, yeah. this is Andy Dalton's comeback. Yeah. There's no spoiler now when, when he loses in overtime. I got a question. I want to get into the AFC wildcard race in a minute, but just seeing as we talked about Dalton and he's come up, 
a quarterback that we think is going to move on from from Cincinnati because now they've got the number one pick. It's probable they're going to take Joe Burrow in in the draft, take a quarterback almost certainly. So Dalton is now on the market, right? Nick Foles is on the market. Apparently Derek Carr could be on the market. Jacoby Brissett reported that the Colts might be moving on from him as well, despite the fact he had a, a pretty decent, or the Colts had a decent game at the weekend anyway. And he was at one stage fourth or fifth in the MVP chat kind of earlier on in the season, right? So that's a, a big fall from grace. There are going to be quite a lot. Marcus Mariota's. Mariota as well, great. Yeah. There are going to be uh, half a dozen probably. Uh, Eli Rivers, of course, Rivers going from... Eli like, Rivers? Eli is, Rivers is, is that Eli Manning and Philip Rivers? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but well, Eli probably hang him up, but you never know. Rivers will, you think, play again, but... I would have thought, yeah, I, I think that's probably right. I mean, Six or seven, Mike, starting quarterbacks on the market next season. Yeah, um, but which ones do you want to, do you want to, like, spend your future on, you or is know, it more of a Fitz Miami stopgap type gig, though? Probably. Um, and, and Fitz has played really well. I mean, he's the perfect quarterback for that situation because he takes a lick and keeps on ticking. You know, it's, it's, um, nothing gets him down and, you know, phases him. I think, I think that, that's been a good thing for Miami. Who really, knows, who knows what happens with Josh Rosen, you know? It's, God, Rosen as well. I mean, but you're so true. It's so true. Uh, you're so bang on with that. With, you could have had a quarterback with similar productivity, but without, everything else that Fitz brings. And I think we would have seen a definitely a tangibly different Miami team from this season. I think he's been instrumental in this, the comeback, really, from the start of the season. And everything Flores has built, and he's got a lot... When you think about how difficult a season Miami have had, Flores is coming out of this with his reputation never high. They're going to have a tough decision to make when it comes to draft time, whether they go for the second quarterback in this draft or whether they go for... You know, a, a, an impact defensive player, and I, I would guess Flores would be would be voting for an impact defensive player. But you don't know. And if you did draft a rookie, it would make sense to bring Fitz back yeah. again, even if Rosen's still there. Yeah. You know, just to have that that veteran uh, kind of leader. Another guy who could be a free agent is Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill, because yeah, he's on a one year contract. Yeah. Um, but Tennessee is going to be under a lot of pressure to keep him now. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's time. a good segue. It's a beautiful segue into the AFC wildcard race, which is compelling, not least because the Oakland Raiders have played themselves back into this, Mike, astonishingly. So with the Raiders beating the Chargers, the Ravens beat the Browns, obviously, the Jets beating the Steelers, uh, the Saints beat the Titans, and the Colts beat the Panthers. Uh, it is now a three-horse race. The, the Raiders were mathematically in the mix as were the Browns. Suddenly, the Titans are in the sixth seed. The Steelers have fallen out. They flip-flop because of their strength of schedule. MIT level degree needs to understand this. <laughs> um, and the Raiders back in and the Raiders can make it. This is how it plays out, Mike. If, if Oakland win at Denver, the Titans lose against the Texans, the Steelers lose against the Ravens and the Colts beat the Jags. Yeah, the Colts have to beat the Jags for, it's a divisional, it's a divisional record thing or something like that. Yeah. The Raiders are in the playoffs. So can they do it? I like simple. <laughs> I like, I like simple so situations. Yeah. Uh, can the Raiders do it? It's it's highly likely the Steelers could lose, but we it's hard to say right now because we don't know what the Ravens are going to do on on the weekend. So both the Ravens and the Texans are in that conundrum. They're, They're both in that. Tech, they've got nothing really to play for. Um, I think it's more likely Tennessee could beat could be Houston. Mm-hmm. They played him well in in Nashville two weeks ago, um, and they have everything to play for. And I'd like to see Tennessee make the playoffs. You know, they always. 
They go nine and seven, no matter who the coach is. Um, at least since Jeff Fisher, Jeff Fisher would go oh, eight and eight. Um, so it's been, a, it's been a big, it's been a big improvement yeah. for them. And they also usually win games, you know, nineteen or lose games nineteen, sixteen, or twenty-one, eighteen. So uh, they've definitely hyped up the entertainment factor this season. Yeah, the, their problem is the secondary. If Adoree Jackson's not playing, they're down Malcolm Butler already. Right. It, it may they have a little bit of a, a difficulty there. And Derek Henry and Derek like Henry didn't play, play the, um, so he needs to be there because that that's that's the team that probably most depends on their running back. And Henry is probably the most. Um, if you're going to have one guy carry the load for you, he can probably carry the most load um, he can for sure. Some load. So you know, so the situation is both those teams could lose. Putting it would be great if Oakland didn't get in because the Colts <laughs> messed them up, you know, kind of unseen, or the Jags messed them up, you know, unseen, because right. that would be like the first positive thing the Jags have done all season. <laughs> <laughs> harsh but fair. It is interesting. It is. It's harsh to Gardner mention. The, the Titans, uh, as you say, probably deserve it the most, the way they've been playing recently. But then I guess you could argue the Raiders, when you look at the season in totality, and, and throwing preseason into that as well, what they've achieved. The fact that Gruden has got the Raiders – to this point where they could still make the playoffs going into the final week of the season is, is mighty. I, I don't, I haven't changed, I think, my opinion since we did the game in, in London, um, with the Raiders and he's, he's done a good job and it, and, and it's like year, year two of his five or his 10 year plan. Um, but they are probably about where they want to be. They're a limited team. I do believe that Derek Carr might be another quarterback on your free agent market. Um, rumblings about this. So are you surprised at that? Not really. Um, and it's funny because when he led, when he scored the touchdown, um, on the keeper, you know, then I'm thinking, ah, it's Rich Gannon because, because Carr knows that what Gruden wants is another Rich Gannon and Carr's not another Rich Gannon. That, that's, that's the problem. But he wants to run a, you know, a ball control. Kind of West Coast offense, run first kind of team with Josh, which is why they drafted Josh Jacobs and got great value from Josh Jacobs. He's had an excellent season. Um, which means when they fall behind, they have problems. So, you know, they don't want to play offensive, offensively really strong teams that can, that can rack up two or three touchdowns early on them. But having said that, they can stay in a game with anyone who doesn't have a really great offense, which you know, is the Titans or looks like they have a great offense, but don't like the Chargers. <laughs> and, and I'm watching that game and I picked the Chargers and I wish I hadn't picked the Chargers. the Chargers. Yeah. But you know, I'm in, I'm in, I'm engaged in this Mike versus the machine thing. Yes, of course. Yeah. Because how's that going? AccuScore and I were tied at the top of the NFL pick watch website, which tracks 111 NFL pundits on their weekly picks, but not mine <laughs> because they won't subscribe to my Patreon site. But if I, if they did track me the last two weeks, I've been level with AccuScore. And it's been interesting because I look at, you know, after the week's over, I look and see how they did and, and, oh, they got that game right and I got that game wrong. Well, this week we've been pretty similar, but the guy who was in third place behind us has moved in now to a tie. So we all are the, at the tie. same point. It's like, it's like the race and for the AFC World Cup. Two of us have picked, picked the Vikings and one has picked, <laughs> and one has picked Green Bay. So one or two of us are going to be in first place at the end of this, at the end of uh, tonight. Did, does AccuScore subscribe to your Patreon column? No. <laughs> well, maybe they do. I don't know. Oh, that would be that would be the smart that, move, wouldn't yeah, it? Now that, then they could be tracking every Friday. They could be tracking me to see what I've done. The cat is out of the bag now. Uh, second question: Put uh, you putting you on the spot. Out of these three, who do you think? And I know it's difficult because we don't know what the Ravens or the Texans yeah. are going to do in terms of starting personnel. But 
Who's I'm going with the Titans. I mean, who are probably the favorites, I would imagine, because there's... I think they're, because they have it at the moment, yeah. right? So, yeah. So the Titans take it. But I like, the, I mean, I like the Titans. Is I it between it. the Titans and the Raiders? Or do you think the Steelers have a shot? The Steelers have a shot, but that, it, I think it depends on Baltimore. I wouldn't be betting the Steelers to beat Baltimore if Baltimore is going to actually go out and try. And, and, you know, you always try. I'm, uh, you know, so, but they might try with RG3 at quarterback for yeah. most of the game, which like will be a whole different culture, thing. Cause, yeah. cause watching that game. Thing, really? What? Would be a whole different thing. It is a whole different thing. Yes. Cause you, you I watched, you know, they, they did such a good job. They fell behind Cleveland. I think they weren't. Up for the game, you know they, they the Browns, yeah, the the, the, oh, the Ravens. Ravens initially, yeah, yeah, initially, and then they realized they're 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 a better team than Cleveland. They should beat them, whatever. But they really do depend on Lamar to make plays. You know, he's got to generate stuff that the system sets him up to generate, but he has to generate it. Yes. You know, it, it's not, he has to turn four or five yard gains into ten yard gains. Um, and he made a couple of great throws, um, especially to Mark Andrews. You know, and I was just thinking, if Jarvis Landry switched sides in that game, Baltimore would probably be unbeatable. You know, a receiver, a wide receiver who could come across the middle and, and catch the ball dependably and, and that kind of stuff. Um, although, if they, um, if they, uh, took, um, David Njoku, that might be interesting too. They could run a four tight end offense. Nice. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I, I kind of like the Titans. I, I think, I think the Oakland thing is just too much of a long shot. I don't think everybody else is going to do what they need to do to to get the Raiders in. But uh, full credit to them. I should have picked them last week. It's funny. I, I got did I, Key score pick the Raiders? Um, I don't know. I didn't go through because we. What I looked at, I just looked to see what the totals were. I didn't and and to see how they'd picked um, Green Bay, Minnesota. Um, but you know what were the ones? Philly. Um, what were the, what were the ones? Philly, I got wrong, obviously. Uh, Pittsburgh and the Jets. I'm surprised you didn't back Philly, actually. Took Washington. I was, I was surprised too, but I just, after I thought it through, I couldn't. The Chargers, I got wrong. Seattle, obviously, I got shots and the Chargers. That didn't, uh, that didn't play out. Let's uh, talk about the, the Saints and, uh, who obviously beat the Titans yesterday, in particular, Michael Thomas, uh, breaking records once again. Uh, Marvin Harrison previously held, obviously, the single season NFL catch record. Thomas broke that in terms of, his first four seasons in the NFL, more receiving yards than any other receiver in the history of the game. So all the greats, Jerry Rice, Megatron, everybody up there. Uh, so a stellar day for him. He's quite clearly a hell of a player. Based on what you've seen of him, Mike, where does he rank in terms of... It's an interesting thing because the NFL 100 released their top 10 you know, receivers, the 10 who made the NFL 100. Um, and it was Jerry Rice and Don Hudson and Lance Allworth who would sort of be my top three um and and um Raymond Barry, who I was glad made it. I had this feeling he wouldn't make it. Um Randy Moss, obviously, who, you know, may be the best after Rice, um, or Allworth, I got the two. Um Fitz Yeah. Who I was a little surprised at. Fitz has had a long career and been really good through most of it, and I think that counts for a lot. Um Fitz come Marvin back Harrison, obviously. Does Fitz come back next season, do you think? Because the I think he might. I, I, I don't necessarily think he doesn't. He's still um, he, he still could. Paul. The surprises to me were Paul Warfield, who I have no argument with at all. But Warfield played in a non-passing era for two non-passing teams, right. the Dolphins and the Browns. Before that, so he doesn't have a lot of catches 
at any point, but he's the most graceful receiver, even more so than Allworth in a way that I, that I ever saw. Um, and I don't think I ever saw him drop a ball. Um, Largent, I was a little surprised because you have kind of has Steve Largent. You have kind of have the choice between him, him and Fred Bolitnikov, say, as the ultimate possession receiver. Um, there are other guys you could put in that mix. And then Crazy Lakes Hirsch was on it. And Hirsch is a really difficult one because he came out as a running back. And he had knee injury and moved, they moved him to wide receiver. And then he had one absolutely great year, one of the greatest receiving seasons in history, literally one of the, probably the top five, but he never had another season like that. And he had a relatively short career. And I'm not sure when you pick him ahead of, um, um, well, you mentioned Megatron, mm-hmm. Terrell Owens, yeah. um, would be another one who I'd, I'd put up in that, um, in that kind of listing from that era. You've got Max Speedy. You've got, uh, Charlie Taylor. Um, there's, there's a lot of candidates in there. And it's tough, obviously, because none of these guys are a very good receiver. They're all great receivers. Yes. You know, so that sure. makes it hard. But I think Michael Thomas fits into that, uh, all of those that top the, 10 uh, category top pretty well. I all mean, of those that you mentioned that are eligible, which I think is all of them, in the Hall of Fame? um, All of them are in the Hall of Fame, I believe, apart from Fitz, obviously. Um, Right. And And uh, who's a lock, so he will be, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, the thing is nowadays, you have to put things into into perspective that we live in a passing era, Mm. and, you know, Marvin Harrison with Peyton Manning, who held the the single-season catch record before, Fitz is the same thing with Breeze. If, If they're on third and two, their go-to play is going to be throwing to Michael Thomas if they really need it, you know. Um, and they use, they use, they use the controlled passing game the way that these teams used to use the running game and the way Bill Walsh used to use the short passing game. So you have to kind of take, put these things into a, a perspective. But if he turns in another five years, like his first five, he's, you know, he, he's in contention okay. to be the second greatest of all, all time. time right? <laughs> Although I, I still say that Don Hudson in his time is, is, you know, is very, very close to Jerry Rice, um, in terms of dominance. Jerry, we were very I did to say it to Jerry. <laughs> did you? Not directly, but, no. but I, I sort of hinted around that he was a very good, a very close number two. <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine Jerry Rice playing in the NFL right now? It would be a ridiculous. Well, thing. he is like 60, 70 years old. I mean, literally right oh. now, I mean, if he was, if he, was <laughs> he could still catch 40 a year, I'm sure. He's still in shape. We, we saw him, we saw him, um, we saw him in London, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a month ago, and he's still in great shape. He's in good nick, Iron Mike. He's in good nick. Uh, let's talk about Steve Largent's, uh, former team, the Seahawks, losing to Arizona. Shock win for, uh, the Connors talking about their upward trajectory. And it has, uh, blown open the NFC playoff picture significantly. Now, of course, we're recording this. Uh, on Monday, so we don't know what's uh, going to happen in the in the Minnesota Green Bay game, which has significant bearing on this. Uh, but in terms of the NFC West, of course, it gives advantage uh, again to the 49ers. Uh, and really, the way this shakes out, you could, by the end of Week 17, have all kinds of different seeding permutations. It's really, really difficult to, to call this one. What do you make of Seattle's no-show against Arizona? That's a, that's a real tough one. Um, the Cardinals played a great defensive game, a, a really great defensive game. They did a bit of what, uh, New England did in the Super Bowl, um, with basically lots of guys standing up off the line of scrimmage, lots of linebackers, uh, Buda Baker playing as a linebacker for almost the whole game, uh, and made life very difficult 
for the the receivers, they stopped Chris Carson anyway, and this is what surprised me. They literally stopped his injury. That's a very good point, Mike Carson. Uh, certainly out for next weekend. Yeah, and Prosize went out as well. So you and know, Sean Penny's gone. So that's yeah, a really, really that's a real problem for them. And Russell Wilson was not able to escape the pocket, which is what he usually does when his offensive line isn't isn't keeping people out. He then escapes the pocket and make play, makes plays, but he wasn't able to do that. They controlled him really well. I thought it was it was an excellent game plan, um, and they executed it well. And offensively, they did just enough. Kind of to, Kyler Murray. I don't know what it is, but he looks like a like a pee wee league player out there because he's got this oversized helmet on his yeah, head, sure. so which makes his body look even smaller than it is. Well, I often think about this with kickers, Mike. You always take the Mickey uh, about this too. But when you see kickers who are obviously more diminutive than majority of their teammates, but they look ridiculously undersized. And I think if I was standing next to them. Are they to, to most natural, <laughs> normal human beings? Are they are they normally sized, or are they particularly undersized? The Kyler Murray is all we know. Yeah, he's short for a quarterback. He's short, but he looks absolutely, absolutely tidy out there. And yet he is, as we'd hoped, dynamic. I remember the first couple of weeks of the season when the, the Cardinals weren't doing much, and everybody straight away jumped to conclusions, saying, "Oh, I don't know about this Kingsbury guy and Kyler Murray," and expecting them to be delivering fireworks within the first couple of weeks. They're not shouting now are they and it's no and positive franchise and and one of the things is that i think people have realized that not only is it is kingsbury's system working to an extent you know it's not perfect yet and he's not getting the most out of murray that he probably will eventually um he's discovering there's some things that he can't do in the nfl but the team is playing hard the way they did for bruce arians you know the cardinals used to always come up with a couple of surprise wins they go up to seattle and win a game where they had no business winning it you know with with you know after four injuries he, he was starting you know some six foot four guy who couldn't move but could throw the ball downfield with no accuracy at all and um you know and they would go up and they they would win that game and this was like one of those games and now it makes it a real question because they've got the 49ers coming in um in what is you know that's the game that's that will start design. to sort out the seedings and it's funny because we know we know most of who the playoff teams are it's just a question of order, of yeah. seed of, of seeding just on that point you make about the cardinals and, and applying that to seattle because it was a similar thing against the rams a few weeks back where they just looked completely off the pace and why is that happening when you've got a team with this talent and with an excellent head coach? Well, I, I think the first thing is not true. I don't think it's actually the most talented team out there. Um, I think, you know, Pete Carroll coaches them very well on defense. They get a lot out of the players, but it's not a Legion of Doom type defense. Defensively, sure. They don't have those kind of, but it depends. Their game depends on the defense because they want to play ball control and you sure. can't play ball control unless your defense is not only controlling the other team, but but ideally producing turnovers to make your offense more effective. And then they depend so much on Russell Wilson. If, if, if they can't run the ball, it all comes down to Russell Wilson. But when, when Russell Wilson's at his best, it's because they've moved the ball downfield. And then when it comes time for him to make a play, he can make a play. But if he has to make play after play after play, they can't really do that. You know, the, the, the receiving core is not bad, but you know, Lockett's been very quiet. Um, Metcalf's coming along really well, I think. Um, they don't have, they don't really have a good uh, tight end receiving threat. They don't do a lot of stuff out of the backfield that, that's very complicated. So, you know, Baldwin, huh? yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think they'd be, uh, offensively, they'd be a much different team with, with Doug Baldwin yeah. in there because that gives them that, that gives them that almost surety that, that Wilson depends on. And, and certainly nobody reacts better to him when the play breaks down 
to him freelancing than, than Doug Bolt, than Doug Baldwin did. To your point, it's a hell of a problem then for the Seahawks going forwards because no penny, no caution, uh, precise, they're ridiculously depleted. And if they're running game, can't get established. This is an altogether different Seahawks. In terms of the mathematics, if Green Bay wins out, and as I say, they're, they're playing Minnesota tonight, so we'll see. But if they do and the Saints beat the Panthers, the Seahawks will be playing on wildcard weekend regardless of what happens against the 49ers, right? So they could have a long road-led playoff run in front of them, which is, and it's been like this a lot in recent weeks in the NFC with seas changing and everything moving around, but it's kind of ridiculous when I think going into week 16, they were in possession of a top two seed and now they are... Possibly well, yeah. You, what you've what you've got is is um, you know uh, three really good teams uh, that that have kept pace with each other. Right. Uh, when when you look at some of the results between them, you that the New Orleans San Francisco game, for example, it was a toss up game. You know, neither team proved they were better than the other team really. Uh, and um, that was the Forty Nine ers Rams on Saturday night. Yeah, and that. yeah, that was that was a bit. <laughs> a bit shaky for the for the Forty ers and um, but but now what you what you've also got um, with Green Bay and Minnesota are two teams that could be really good. You don't necessarily want to play them, but they're not as good as those other teams in terms of balance or whatever. Minnesota's predictable, which is a bad thing to be um, when you get to the playoffs when you get against teams that you know can can control your predictability or Less take so advantage of it. back though i mean because he's missed so much that they oh it helps but but still you've got two receivers and tight end if they can't run cook everything falls onto cousins shoulders um i picked minnesota knowing that kirk cousins is 0 and 8 on monday night football for his career um, so yeah, this would be a, a big first if he if he does that if he um can play and and when if they get a lead on you, they're going to blitz you. They're going to blitz you and blitz you and blitz you and blitz you. And, and so you know that's coming. And Green Bay, on the other hand, you don't know what you're going to get except that Aaron Rodgers is going to have to make plays. And that's whole, I mean, has it changed from the Mike McCarthy era? They, they seem to have better pass patterns, patterns that are designed to get guys open rather than just let them run around till Rodgers can find them. <laughs> sure. But, but basically it still is Aaron Rodgers sits there yeah. and waits, you know, for someone to come open and then throws the ball to him and, and he can break down almost any defense doing that. Yeah. But it's almost as if, you know, it's like if you're playing playground basketball with guys you played with a long time and then this one guy comes in that you've never played, be, you know, you've never seen before and he's really good. <laughs> and, and so it basically just becomes he does, does what he wants Whatever and, and wants, gets yeah. things. So kind of like white men can't jump. Um, you know, <laughs> you, you're getting hustled by Aaron That's Rodgers. Scratch that on my Christmas movie list. Actually, I love that. Uh, very Christmas movies. Uh, yeah, where do you go on Christmas movies? Where? Yeah. Well, there's I my two. I love actually, right? <laughs> I had to sit through Love Actually last Christmas uh, with three women who watch it every year and know every word. Pretty much. Yeah. And I, I could have predicted every word that was coming. Basically, um, it's a heavily flawed movie. Put it that, that way. Yes. Um, there's my two favorite Christmas movies. White Man Can't Jump. That's one sure. one is traditional, which is It's a Wonderful Life, and I actually watched that on Saturday with my girlfriend, who was one of the three women who made me watch Love Actually. It's so much better. It's did such she, a good did she movie. She have it now ahead and, of Love Actually in her power rankings. Um, no, I don't think so. I don't think she <laughs> yeah, got it. Got it it's too it's too kind of 1940s, um, too, too too American or too something. But um, she did figure out that the angel was an angel, so that was good. Okay. Um, and and the other one is a, a Christmas story, which now everybody loves. It's become a, a big thing in the States. But I saw it when it came out in London 
by myself. Um, and I literally fell out of my seat laughing. But but I used to listen. Gene Shepard wrote it, and Gene Shepard narrates, narrates it. He did a radio show in New York where he just talked, you know, every night. And I used to listen to Gene Shepard, so I knew the stories. And he, his short stories would appear in Playboy, and um, and that was and other the, magazines. The, the basis of that. So when I could sneak around and see a Playboy, I would get sure, around to like reading a it. And and um, it's the story of a kid. It's 1939 in Gary, Indiana, and this kid wants a Red Ryder BB gun. And no one wants him to have it. It's fun. You know, you'll shoot your eye out. And so it's the story. It's the story basically of, of his childhood. But yeah, um, my favorite moment maybe after dad has negotiated buying the Christmas tree and they're bringing it home and he gets a flat tire and he asks Ralphie to help him change a tire for the first time. And Ralphie's feeling really big. And so he's holding the hubcap and his father's putting the nuts into it off the tire. And then he, he loses one and he goes, Oh, shh. And everybody's in shock because Ralphie swore. Wow. And his mother's going, where did you learn that word? And he goes, from Schwartz. And she gets on the phone to Schwartz's mother. Says, you know what my son said? And then you hear the scream on the other side of the phone. He said, no, he didn't get it from his father. He got it from your son. And all of a sudden you start hearing his son screaming, ah, what did I do? What did I do? While Ralphie, this through this whole time, is sitting in the bathroom with a with a bar of palm olive soap in his mouth, oh, <laughs> which is days. what parents used to do to you when you let a word go that you shouldn't have, and they washed your mouth out with soap. Well, Ooh, it kidding. was awful. Ouch. <laughs> Ralphie, where we did that? No. I can speak from personal experience. Oh, ouchie. Oh. Two, five movies. I will go with, uh, it was on last night, actually, but I was working, obviously, doing uh, doing uh, the game, so I, I couldn't watch it, but I've watched it about 74 times. Not technically a Christmas movie, but always on at Christmas. Uncle Buck, the great. <laughs> <laughs> it is a stretch, I think, to, to turn it into a Christmas movie. I like Uncle Buck for sure. I can maybe it is, is unfair but, to, to include it. Uncle Buck, incidentally, when Joe Montana, uh, when he was over a few years back, famous yeah. the famous yeah the famous John Candy John story. Candy thing. Yeah. And I asked him, was that his favorite John Candy movie, Uncle Buck? You remember you did the broadcast with me, and he agreed. Yeah, um, yeah. If you don't know the story, basically crucial moment, crucial game, you know, the drive, whatever, and they come, he comes back from the sideline into the huddle and he goes, hey guys, do you see John Candy's in the end zone? <laughs> and I mean, you couldn't do anything better to like relax a team, Absolutely. you know? I love Montana. And uh, he's one of the, when you, when you meet your heroes, lived up to it as well. Just it lived up to his nickname. What's the other one? Uh, well, a tough call because I, a, a wonderful life would be there, but seeing as you've had that as well, I might go Muppets Christmas Carol. Actually. Muppets Christmas Carol is unbelievably good. Because no. it's the Muppets. Who it, it's one of the great versions of a Christmas. It's up there with Alistair Sim, you know. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, yeah, yeah. The, the great version. And, and the other one that everybody likes to now put in, because it, it was about 10 years ago, it was probably hip to, to do it, but Die Hard is a great, yeah, sure. is a great Christmas movie. The, uh, Harry, the producer, was telling me there's a Die Hard board game. Maybe we should have got that for Christmas for you. Yeah. yeah how do you, do how do you like go through the window of the Nakamura tire I tower? I didn't get too into it with Harry. He's been very excited about it. So, all right. And Harry, Harry is the hipster. <laughs> yes, indeed he is. And that is a perfect segue. I might get to your Christmas top five. <laughs> well done, Nat. Thanks. Yeah, nothing like a segue. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I wanted to quite kind of quote since you, since you brought the bottle of wine, you know, um, Bluto's famous advice to flounder, which was my advice is to start drinking heavily. <laughs> And that always works um, at Christmas. I used to love, and I went back and looked. I was going to go into this long thing about the blue-gray game, which I thought was a Christmas tradition when I was a kid. But it turns out I'm thinking of one game only, which was 1965, which was the first year the game itself was integrated. I'm, and we must have watched it on Christmas Day. It didn't actually become a Christmas Day thing until the late 70s. But it was always around Christmas. And it was an all-star game of college players. 
from the South, the old Confederacy, against the, against the North. And if you can imagine in the America in the early 60s, when it took place in Montgomery, Alabama, the state capital, where George Wallace stood on the steps saying, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. If you can imagine, this game was fought as if the Civil War were still be playing. And, you know, Confederate flags on one sideline, American flag on the other sideline. And in the South, they still took that seriously in those days, you know, and even the late 60s, the early 70s, when I went down and I was teaching in the South for a while. People still, you know, Yankees were still considered a bit, you know, a bit suspicious, a bit offline. And bowl games, apart from the Rose Bowl, there were only a handful of bowl games in those days, all took place in the Confederate states. And it was a big thing for these guys to bring these, you know, corn-fed Nebraska players down to Miami where they would wilt in the heat. And, right. and, you know, Alabama or Georgia Tech or whoever would run circles around them. And the referees were all from the South, right. which I remember being the one quote from the, the the black guy was the first guy to play. His name was Briggs um, in that game. You know, and they said, did, did anyone give you racial abuse? And they said, oh, no, no, no. I mean, we got a pounding in there. And, you know, they were doing also hitting me and stuff. But no one said anything. So, but those referees were really biased. <laughs> and that's the way it worked down south. Yeah. But anyway, the blue-gray game, um, we used to do it at ABC in, the, in its last years. It finally died because there's so many bowl games you couldn't get enough players to come you know, on Christmas Day. Right. Um, but by then it was called the Kelly Tire Blue-Gray All-Star Football Classic. Right. Which is like ten words better than the blue gray game, <laughs> and I'd love to see it on PC revived, you know, and and see how that see how it worked. But otherwise, um, yeah, five tips, five tips for Christmas from Iron Mike. Um, one is mix some potatoes in with your turnips or Swedes when you're making the mashed Swedes. So I, my father used to do this, and if you put the potatoes in. The kids who don't like the turnips won't necessarily notice the the bitter taste of the turnips. So that 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 got me into um into doing that. So number four is to have a dog hat available, a dog something hat. for your dog, something funny for your dog to wear, and then give him some peanut butter. So while he's like doesn't like having the hat on, peanut butter is the best thing in the world for dogs, you know, especially if you can get a little on his dog. But but they get it and, they, and it sticks to the top of their mouth, going like that. So you get the best pictures when the dog's trying to get rid of the peanut butter in his mouth and he's got the stupid hat on. It, that it, also worked with some members of my family. <laughs> <laughs> if I'd thought it's about it last year, I found a Christmas hat. I would have brought it in, but it said "Make Christmas Great Again." <laughs> I thought that that was too particularly um, beautiful, unimportant. Booze does play a factor. Booze and, tends and, to. And I think the important thing is, I mean, if you're having turkey, the, the traditional British Christmas, any good wine is great because turkey is the perfect thing for wine. But after dinner, for with dessert, a good dessert wine makes Christmas pudding ten times better. And I, I also think like a fruit salad as an alternative or as a kind of uh, just a balance off with the Christmas pudding works really well. You feel better about yourself. Yeah, and and if you have that with, uh, there's one, there's a couple actually, a couple people make an orange orange muska. Um, There's one from California called Essencia, which I really like. And cold, ice cold out of thing, and you know, finish that, and then have good aqua, good aquavit at the end, at the end of the meal, you know, later. Yeah, um, gamo uplans is is my favorite aquavit, but there's also a thing called flader, which isn't an aquavit because it's not flavored with rye or calloway; it's still flavored with elderflower, so it's a brendan, but it's beautiful, beautiful. Um, if I can 
put a plug in for that. Because yeah, totally. you need that to get the British Christmas in England. I wouldn't even say the British, but in England. Mm. Here we go. I mean, Scrooge was English, right? This doesn't. This is a bah, well. bah humbug. <laughs> yeah. But Americans have Thanksgiving, which is the great family holiday because you don't have the trauma of gift giving and all that kind of stuff involved. And of course, gift giving in America is also, there's no such thing as Boxing Day. That's the day you take your Christmas presents, you go back to the store and you return them for what you really wanted or you upgrade if you're that kind of person. <laughs> but the British hate Christmas. I mean, everybody complains about it. You know, I hate Christmas. They all say, oh, I gotta get my family's there. So what they do is not only they hate it, but they cut, they shut down public transport and they work on all the roads, although there's nobody working, but they've set up all their stuff yeah. so that you're trapped there and they add a second day to it. <laughs> <laughs> so they can enjoy they can enjoy the unnecessary discomfort um, for for one day longer. And I've, I've never to, got my head. And then they eat Brussels sprouts. It's our attempt to play the strange with Bills with a British angle. Exactly, exactly. But there were no Brussels sprouts in that movie. <laughs> and no okay. candy. Um, and um, number two, this is a good tip for guys, especially when you're out shopping, because women are. I don't want Steady to gen- generalize, but we, but women do tend to be more demanding as to what you buy them in terms of Christmas gifts. That's a when the when the when the uh, clerk behind the counter tries to put the gift receipt in with the gift, mm-hmm. and the gift receipt, if you don't know what it is, it's a receipt that doesn't have the price tag on it. So when the when the gift is returned, they don't know necessarily how much you paid for it, or they actually do because they'll tell them how much they can return it for. But but anyway, if you put the gift receipt in with the gift, what you're saying to the person you're giving it to is, I don't think you're going to like this, so I've prepared for your returning it. So keep it in your pocket so you have it in case it doesn't work, but don't give them the option of considering that you think sure. it's not there. That's that. That's a really good tip, and I think it works well. But number one is find somewhere where it's snowing. Christmas without snow is like football without a ball. <laughs> you know, it's like you really want. And and you know, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. It it the song comes not from the movie White Christmas, although it it's the center of that movie. But it comes from a movie called Christmas in Connecticut. Where did Iron Mike grow up? Connecticut? Connecticut. Good guess. <laughs> and, you know, I've done Christmas in Connecticut and Christmas in Montreal and Christmas over here. And Vegas? <laughs> <laughs> if Gruden invites me for Christmas in Vegas, I might break my snow rule for once. But, I mean, we've had a couple of Christmases in the years I've lived in Britain with snow, and it's, it is so wonderful. I mean, there's, there's nothing better than, than making a, making a snowman, you know, Something sort of like that. Um, what are your tips for a good take, snowball Taking fight? a kid out there. Don't put rocks in the snow. Well, that's a good start, We used to do yeah. that when we were kids. The strategy. You kind of... You kind of <laughs> strategy go. is off... Is... is um, is rapid fire beats accuracy. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> you know, don't bring a don't bring a pistol to a shotgun fight. <laughs> don't pull, don't pull out your sword when there's a machine gun in the other trench that's yeah. rolling guys down. Yeah. So yeah, you want to fire as many snowballs off as possible. Um and you know, if you if you're a human being, you don't aim for the face, but you know, if you're a kid throwing snowballs, you do. <laughs> So that's 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 basically Christmas. I love Christmas. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I do You're live. A I do, li- I do live. I do live for it. Yeah. What I love about your Christmas top five is it was actually five. It was. I, I tried five. to it keep it down it eleven to, to that level. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and the other thing is, it, it is. A, I, I could make it six if you want because sure. shop early for others, especially. Mm. Um, back in the days when I used to travel a lot working, um, I would always 
sort of go Christmas shopping. I would take a morning or something like that and, and go through various places and, and just look for things that um, that I thought would make good Christmas. And sometimes I didn't even know who for. So I would, at the end of the, by when we got to December, I'd have this pile of stuff under the bed and I'd take it out. So oh, that would be good for so-and-so. And because there's two kinds of Christmas gifts. There's the one that you know the person wants, sometimes because they've told you or sometimes because they've taken hints <laughs> or sometimes because you know a good Pinot Noir is just going to satisfy him no matter what the situation is. Um, you're a baby. And, and it's yeah. it's satisfying when you find the thing that that the person you're buying the gift yeah. wants. Yeah. But it's even more satisfying when you come across a thing that you know they'll like and yes. you get it. You know, and so you just wander through some shops and and you look around and then you see something and you say, oh, that makes sense for so and so. That's all year round. Be thinking about it. Yeah, if you can, yeah. you know. Well, you can do it in a rush in December, which is what nowadays I wind <laughs> up doing. But you know, <laughs> yeah, sure. and I hate shopping in general. But but it's kind of does. If you just say, oh, I'm just going to wander and see if I can find some stuff that might be good for someone's Christmas, you you, you can find really unusual things. You know. We've been talking so much about Christmas. This is technically our Christmas special, but our official Christmas special drops on Christmas Day. And I and Mike, you're the headline act. Really? Yeah. How did I do that? Well, it's your interview with Tori Holt and your interview with Ken Anderson. Oh, that, yeah, that was great. Those were, that was back to back too. And and back to back talking about the Hall of Fame. And I I was a little disappointed because, um, they released the Hall of Fame semifinalists, um, or final or whatever they call it this, this, past week and Ken Anderson wasn't in the in the list and it's a longer list because of the the hundred um because of the hundredth anniversary they're they're putting more people in the Hall of Fame but um so he didn't make it and I still think he's probably the quarterback who's not in the, the most qualified quarterback who's not in the Hall of Fame you know who probably should go in there um there's a couple of competitors, but I think Ken Anderson's probably the best of that bunch. But, you know, there's never a shortage of quarterbacks who will go in, you know, and mostly, mostly at, at first, first vote. So then you have to wait till that passes and then the veterans uh, come up again. So it's going to be an uphill road. But um, what a pleasure those two guys were to talk to. We can uh, catch on Mike's chat with Tori Holt, with Ken Anderson uh, on our Christmas special, which drops uh, unsurprisingly on Christmas Day, Christmas morning. So that's quite good. After you've had the dessert wine and all the other tips I might have given you. We do that later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do that later. Wait, listen to you first or a bit after? No, well, I mean, yeah, we the, the dessert wine comes after the Christmas dinner, which comes after the opening of the president. You, Presence, the order it works, which yeah. which comes after waking up. <laughs> I was like, this is the podcast where you've done all that around sort of oh, okay, five o'clock yeah. in the afternoon. That's okay, good. Yeah, uh, it'll sound even better. Yeah, I might make that. Swedish waffles for Chris, for Christmas breakfast. How do you make a Swedish waffle? You have a special waffle iron, um, which is kind of um, it's it's eight sided, but but. But the edges are are curved so that when you break it into the slices, each one looks like a little heart. And and the wall of the mix you make is kind of thinner than than um, last week. They come out kind of crispy. I'm going to drive down to. So I'm, we're hosting uh, about I think 14 people. So I, as we've often talked about, I'm turning into Chevy Chase from National Lampoon's Vacation as every year passes. Uh, I might drive down to yours for brekkie and then just drive back up. That's, that's fine. Right. That's Brilliant. fine. It's a done deal. And I'll listen to the pod on the drive down. <laughs> it's a perfect thing. Perfect, perfect for thing. your Christmas. Drive. Uh, so that when is you're stuck on the A11 <laughs> on uh, Christmas Day, and then we're back on the 27th. Tom Deacon in the house. Uh, we'll preview Week 17 uh, from right here at ESPN HQ. But from me and I, Mike, happy Christmas, everybody! Happy Christmas. Podcast Network.